0: the best product.
1: I've been involved in the Patagonia field testing program
0: for a little over 20 years right now. For silent sports done in nature. That's the feeling. That's the feeling that I fell in love with with climbing. Cause no unnecessary harm. Some organic cotton and recycled polyester to recycling the clothing to measuring our carbon footprint. Inspire and implement
1: solutions to the
0: environmental crisis. To so give some love back to this river that doesn't have any. It's not getting any love. See what drives us at Patagonia.com. With additional support from Kuat Racks and New Belgium Brewing.
1: I was concerned to where you start getting that, that little feeling of jitteriness when your adrenals are, are active and um, everything comes in a tight focus, but, but you feel the adrenaline. And, and I know for me that's a sign that's like,
0: okay... Take a deep breath. This is where your brain has to start functioning. This is fly fishing guide Mark Rutherford. He's been moving people and equipment across the Alaskan wilds for the last 35 years, first as part of the state's wildland fire response, and then for the last 20 as an exploratory fishing guide. And this is Malcolm Daly, Mark's friend and cohort.
2: You know, this year's trip was one of the wildest things I've ever done. It had to do with surviving a literally an epic storm. You know, this storm buried and flooded out trappers' cabins and line shacks and and guide camps that had been there for generations. That's how big this was.
1: And it probably would not be a fun evening evacuating in the dark. The wind was picking water up off the surface of the river. I mean, it was picking up... Buckets of water and hurling them. I like the challenge. I really like the challenge of working with folks who, you know, who might not be able to get out there without um, without some special help. You know, and you have to. Everybody here has
2: to assume that the next move you make, every move, the next one is the most important move in the rescue
0: life first off right now mark and malcolm they're talking about the same event i know it doesn't sound like it. second off this doesn't sound like any fly fishing trip i've ever been on or even heard of
2: mark's description of that storm is very very moderate <laughs> um you know i've i've been in a lot of storms and and maybe i'm more prone to exaggerate and he's
0: prone to minimize so let me fill you in on the situation. Mark is leading a group of eight anglers down one of Bristol Bay's remotest rivers in August. The group sets up camp on a gravel bar. They wake up to rain and wind and more rain, and it keeps raining, and the water keeps rising and rising, and Mark decides that these people he shepherded into this great Alaskan wilderness, they need to be moved before nightfall, or risk being swallowed by the Ogniovic River. The fishing trip was about to get burly.
2: You know, and it would have been, it would have been an epic for normals,
0: right? We call you guys normals. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, I, I'm seeing, I'm seeing into the, the world that you guys inhabit, I guess.
2: You know, tongue in cheek, we call ourselves gimps. And, and generically, you know, if you want to slice it a little bit further, we you know,
1: Amputees call themselves gimps, and and wheelchairs. A lot of times they're wheelies. What was interesting about the group for 2010 is there was eight of us, and of the eight, um, two were in wheelchairs, paraplegics, two had amputated legs and wore prosthetic devices, and one of our participants was legally blind. You know, we're all brought together because we love to fly fish and we're enthusiastic about the challenge of of moving across this, this wonderful tundra landscape.
0: Just how did this crew of self-proclaimed gimps and wheelies end up camped on a rapidly disappearing gravel bar in the middle of Bristol Bay's wilderness? in the midst of one of the worst storms in decades. To answer that question, we've got to go back. Friends are a little like rivers. When they come together, they form something greater. Today we present what we had. We've never done a fly fishing story on the Diaries, and that's because I was waiting for the right one. And here it is. I'm Fitzgerald, and you're listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. I didn't ask. Like, is there a question that that I was that I missed? This is the last question I ask in every interview I do, and out of all the times I've asked it, I've never had someone answer it quite like this.
1: I don't know. I I almost have a question for you and for other for other outdoors people. You know, what is it about a person moving across the landscape with? the tools we need for the day or the week that is so poignant that that you know it's just there deep in us is it you think there's a gene coded for for exploring i can't explain why loading airplanes and boats and backpacks you know is still meaningful to me you know in my sixth decade i but it is. It's, I think there's something really, really deep in the, in the code of what it is to be a human that involves how you feel when you're moving in,
0: in time and space. Mark's unique. He's a fisherman who is understated. He's a Chicago native who found a home in the Alaskan bush. In a region known for its plush fishing lodges and jet boats, Mark has been running a minimalist outfit. Wild River Guides, where clients sleep in tents and put in sweat to reach rivers and streams where the trout die of old age, not by an angler's hook.
1: Uh, and There's reasons they don't get pestered. It's just too hard to get to. You, you, gotta, you have to suffer to get to, get to those places.
0: And Mark has been successful in this guiding endeavor. Homesteading miles from the nearest road in the Alaskan bush amplified his resourcefulness. Work moving fire crews around honed his planning and management skills. He's built a steady clientele and now donates his time to help Malcolm lead these fly fishing trips through Paradox Sports, a not-for-profit dedicated to getting disabled athletes into adventurous situations. Looking back, though, Mark doesn't hesitate to trace his success guiding back to a single client, a single friend.
1: I had a client, a fly fishing client named John Merritt, and he and some of his pals and some of their children would come every couple of years to fish with me in Alaska.
0: When he first started the company to build his base, Mark turned back towards his roots in Chicago, chatting with family friends who fished. A few years into the business, he got a call from a guy named John Merritt. They'd grown up together, spent summers at a lake retreat in Wisconsin shared a sandbox, and played together. But as the years passed and they became teenagers, they each went their own ways. John into a career as a financial advisor, and Mark into the Sierra, and then the Alaskan bush. Despite leading different lives, they still shared a passion for fly fishing. John hired Mark to take him fishing, and on that trip, they reconnected as friends.
1: And as I got to know John... You know, he shared with me the fact that he had MS and that his doctor had told him 10 years prior that he had seven years to live. And so he began doing the things that were really important to him to to do before he died. Well, he started fishing with me and he started loving these Alaska trips because he felt so alive. And I started getting comfortable with a guy who every time I saw him on a two-year interval was a little less mobile than he had been the last time I'd seen him. And where I'm going with this story is he started out as a retail client, as a good client, as a man who loved to fly fish. Um, And we had good times, and I'm grateful for his business, you know, it helped. It helped my young company quite a bit to have him regularly. But then it went beyond that. And it was clear that the people who traveled with John, who's supposed to have died, loved, you know, they loved this man. And, you know, and I began to, too. I took him... To places that I thought he had the best chance of of catching really large rainbow trout. You know, to catch a 30-inch rainbow trout is sort of the grail of um, Alaska fly fishing. To do that, you really have to get out beyond the where the lodge planes can go and and the jet boats can go and the day trips can go and and. It takes a proper expedition. You've got to commit. You've got to go out to try and catch that one, you know, that is the archetypal rainbow trout, the the most beautiful piece of silver and red and purple that, that
0: you can imagine leaping out of the water. And John was hooked. And talking with Mark, you also get the sense that Mark was hooked, that John had this type of personality that drew people in, and simultaneously lifted them up. Two years later, Mark and John organized another trip.
1: After that, when it was clear the guy was really serious and could could do the mileage, you know, then we start biting off these places that don't have names, or that I won't name, where you see a trout that's that's an extraordinary fish. It's a I call them an old growth trout um, or an ancient trout. They They live on these creeks and rivers and die of old age, and, and, you know, they don't get pestered. At first I was worried about taking him, you know, to the places that were hard to get to, because I thought he was going to be frail and that sort of thing, but I became more comfortable with his, his disabilities, and he was always game for a challenge and ultimately as he declined we kept doing more and more difficult trips Um, and they were wonderful and not only that he and his friends convinced me that they didn't need other guides along that they could row the boats and so the whole client guide
0: relation changed these were trips where Mark and John were not only casting into untouched fishing waters, they were pioneering first descents of Bristol Bay's lesser-known rivers. They did this for a decade. He's
3: a glorious offering It's been a friend for all my life, and
0: and, uh, those
3: trips have meant a lot to me.
0: This is John Merritt.
3: Yeah, it was pretty adventurous. And we had some some rainy days, and we had some uh, gorgeous days. And, you know, we just dealt with with, uh, what we had.
0: According to the doctors, John was living on borrowed time. The trips, well, you can hear it in John's voice. In the midst of all the medical problems these trips, these travels across the Alaskan landscape were fun. The people who John surrounded himself with had fun. And to Mark, the trips with John, they were perfect trips. They were reasons why he guided. He could shepherd John through terrain able-bodied clients might balk at. They enjoyed great conversations, the kind that only comes with knowing someone for 50 years. And most importantly, the people on John's trips left closer than they came.
3: Well, it's been fun. I've taken um, the same uh, fellows with me uh, 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 a couple of times, including uh, a son uh, a couple of times and friends two or three times. And it's been great seeing Mark develop a relationship with uh, with those people as well. It's been a lot of fun because of the uh, um, because of the people we were with
1: as well.
0: For Mark, these became the year's most important trips.
1: And then it became family. You know, we just were. A little clan that came together every now and then and did these trips. Yeah, 10 years ago, you know, he had MS, but it was very well controlled and you wouldn't know him from anybody walking down the street. About five years ago, we had a trip on the books, and it was going to be a pretty easy trip because John wasn't doing that well. He wasn't getting along. He was in a wheelchair mostly. So we were going to basically go camp on this beautiful alpine lake in Alaska, and we, you know, he could fish from his wheelchair and camp and that sort of thing. And, um, he, he called me up in January and said, Mark, you know, I've got to cancel. You know, I can't do this. I've just um, kind of declined beyond where I can, you know, fly to Alaska and do this with you. So we we kind of said goodbye as as clients and friends. And about that time, people were starting to come back from Iraq and Afghanistan with um, disabilities, missing their legs from roadside bombs and a friend of mine started saying, "Boy, you know there there must be other disabled outdoorsmen, you know, whether they're whether they're war vets or or um, civilians that would love to do a trip like this, like the ones that that um, we used to do with John." And that seemed like a neat idea, and um, so I went to John Merritt and I said, John. Um, I think there's other people who, who could do the kind of trip you used to do, and um, would you be willing to fund it?
3: It was it was something that appealed to me right away, and uh, um, and it was something I could do uh, to help disabled people, and you know which I am one out at this point. And you know, I thought in a perfect world uh that I would be able to do one of these. This is not you know down the road, but it doesn't look like that's gonna happen.
1: It took John Merritt about five seconds to say, Yeah, I'll I'll do that. So now, you know, years later, we're taking these folks. And so the, the phone call, the, the phone call that I make, you know, when we get over, the, when we finish the trip, is to John. You know, he just loves it. So maybe that um, answers your question, or maybe it doesn't.
0: Three years ago, Mark ended up at the Five Point Film Festival in Carbondale, Colorado, Malcolm knew Mark's daughter through the climbing world. Malcolm was running Paradox Sports, and had already helped facilitate all sorts of incredible journeys for Iraq veterans and disabled athletes. They went out fishing and got to talking.
2: And he told me why, and
0: he told me the story of John
2: Merritt. And I said, wow.
0: Um, I said, let's figure it out. In 2009, Mark, Malcolm, and John created their first trip together. Mark had been talking with a guy named Vijay Visanathan, who had lost the use of his legs in a climbing accident and now got around with a wheelchair. He uh, hadn't been able to fish,
1: and I had proposed that uh, I'd be interested in taking him fishing. And I kind of had this imagination. We'd we'd unload a float plane on a beach, blow up a raft, and float down a river, and we'd fish. And Vijay said, well, that sounds like what ordinary people do. I don't want to do that.
0: You know, I want, to, I want to push it. They went and repeated one of the first descents that Mark and John had done together. It involved moving over miles of brush-choked portages. Mark knew it was going to be difficult. So one of the things I love about this is if we're going to
1: undertake a expedition where, let's say, we've got somebody in a wheelchair and we're going to go run a river that's only been run twice in history and it involves a portage we're going to need some help so i get to try and round up a posse of of helpers
0: they pulled it off malcolm who walks with a prosthetic came along with his wife karen mark's kids chipped in time and piggyback rides the trip was a complete success after the trip something vj said stuck with mark he said mark um I felt alive
1: on that trip in the same way I feel, you know, skiing through fresh powder. It, it's how I, was, how I feel like I was born to be. Would you dare to make it change allow the wind to sway Throw it on At this time in my life. Um, this is my passion. You know, I like the connection that happens with with any guest of mine when we really connect and we know each other and we've
0: been through something together. Which leads us back to where we began in a campsite on a low-lying gravel bar. The water is rising. The wind is howling. It's the worst storm in twenty years, and a group of gimps and wheelies are right smack in the middle of it. In 2010, Malcolm and Mark tried a bigger trip with more clients, this time to the Oganava River. Um, off we went.
1: What we didn't know in 2010 was that we were on a collision course with the biggest storm of the summer, and by later
0: accounts, the biggest storm in the last 20 years. Two days into it, the team set up shop to spend the day fishing. When the rain started falling, Mark figured, hey, today will be a layover day. We can sit around and drink tea and eat food. It kept raining. Worried, Mark set up cairns along the water's edge to gauge how quickly the water was rising. They dead manned tents with logs and hunkered down.
2: Mark is very, very thorough and methodical to the point of being kind of type A. right? He, he, he covers every single detail, and when we're with him, he walks around with a notebook in his pocket, yeah, you know, it doesn't matter if it's pouring rain and blowing like stink outside or we're middle in the cook dinner or whatever, he's making notes.
0: The water was rising too fast. Mark and Malcolm began scrambling to find an alternative campsite nearby. The best they could come up with was a small, uneven bluff close by, but that would mean packing up camp and then reinstalling it. In the process, hypothermia was bound to set in. They would survive, but it was going to be painful. Mark had another thought. He remembered a small trapper's cabin, a shack really, 12 miles down the river. With the steady wind behind them, they might make it before nightfall. i it was like the mood
1: changed immediately. It's like dry, potentially dry, cabin. What's the choice? I mean, yeah, let's go. It's like, wait a minute, do you understand like we could go 100 yards and bivy on a bluff or we could go, uh, you know, 10 miles, 12 miles. It's, you know, and now the... The wind is 60 miles an hour. We're going to be dealing with that in the rafts. I'm
0: like, yeah, let's try. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but it really did seem like a good way out. Four hours later, they hit the river. Wind howled. The rafts sped downstream catalyzed by water and wind. Eventually, they made it just beneath the bluff, and the small shack perched on it. The able-bodied, lifted the disabled onto their backs, and clawed their way up the hillside until everyone was piled into the cabin.
1: The mood... Of this group that has been in the full evacuation mode you know where life was on edge where if things didn't go properly somebody could could uh, potentially die and now we're in a cabin out of the wind no rain hot food and it was like you couldn't stop laughing there was There was almost no situation that wasn't comical for hours we just laughed and ate and drank hot drinks and we felt like we were in the ritz this is not a chair that is not a table
3: this is not a cup that is not a kettle it is not raining my shoe is not untied. I have not been. You know, I I wouldn't have done the, the things I did uh, without luck. There's no question about that.
0: These days, John can no longer fish. Friends will take him out to be on the water, to enjoy the conversation, and the camaraderie. But the strength has left him. But these stories are John's legacy. The laughter that fills a tiny tin shed in the Alaskan bush is part his. A day later, when the storm subsided, and Mark was able to arrange for a float plane out, John was one of the first people he called.
3: You no, know, it means a lot to me. Um, and the stories from each trip um, are, are great, although last year's trip was pretty much weathered out.
1: It was a very wide trip
3: uh, from what I
1: understand when I've got something written when I write up a trip report for the annual trip, you know, I get a copy to John right away, even if it's a draft and and um I believe now somebody reads it to him. I'm not sure he can he can always read, maybe sometimes he can. I, I'm sure sometimes he can, but not always.
3: All the lies I've
1: ever told we now talk many times a year you know I can call them up anytime we take up you know, where the story
0: last went off the 2010 trip has become lore for the participants a difficult experience that became binding for the abled and disabled body participants alike
2: maybe what we're doing is taking the gi out of the bubble. Right? because so often there's so much protection around people with disabilities. And we talked a lot about, you know, whether we should try to do this or not. And we said, yeah, I want to do this. I want to show that we can do something that is, you know, world standard, even if we have a wheelchair. We can
3: wash the world away All the lies I've ever told
1: You know, there's something that happens in your heart on a trip like that. Um, in the end, it's it's about love, you know, and it's, it's about you falling in love with the people that you're with. And um, so um, will I do it again? Yep. Malcolm and I are working on the 2011 project. You know, we don't know who will be interested in, in traveling with us. Um, with a little luck, next summer we'll, we'll help each other get on a float plane and we'll fly someplace interesting and we'll, we'll um, put some rafts together and we'll, we'll take a trip. With a little bit of luck, we'll, we'll catch some fish and um, we'll get to know each other around a campfire.
0: Putting together the year's last episode, I just had myself a little moment. I try to bring the most creative, inspiring people into the same digital conversation. Thanks, Mark, John, and Malcolm. But that thanks extends beyond that to the musicians who help us. Today, we featured a band, Becca, and I have been rooting for with all the fist-pumping, air drum-playing, off-key singing we can muster. We are Augustines. Back at Dirtbagdairies.com, you can find links to this track and their site, weareaugustines.com. They have an incredible story of their own. Additional music by Breathe Al Breathe, Moon Holiday, and Franz Nicolet. We're in the midst of putting together our annual year of big ideas edition. If you've got a goal, an incredible trip, a dream you're going to realize in 2011, drop us a line at dirtbagdiaries at earthlink.net, and you can end up on the show. Patagonia makes the diaries possible. Keep your ears tuned to their site. They've got their own very big idea on the way, something that might just shake up the music industry. The way we support environmental organizations, and how you find new, emerging music. Support for the show also comes from Kuat Racks. Friend them on Facebook. They're always doing cool promotions and giving away racks. Seriously, if you own a bike, you owe it to yourself to stay tuned to what this little company is doing. KuatRacks.com This support comes from New Belgium Brewing. Happy holidays, everyone. Thanks for another great year. Look forward to plenty of new stories in 2011. Now, it's time to turn the volume up and disappear into the music.